0: So today's Bible reading continues our series from Paul's letter to the Philippians. So we're going to continue reading today from chapter 3, verse 12, through to the end of that chapter. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For... As I have often told you before and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, David, and a very warm welcome to uh, all our regular and Jude's people, uh, those who are watching at home, and of course, our guests and visitors. We are delighted that you are with us, uh, and we have the privilege of a fantastic Bible passage before us this morning. Uh, Philippians is really a beautiful, a wonderful, a joyful letter. It is wonderfully encouraging and actually digs deep into what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus. And last week, we, as we began chapter 3, we saw that what Paul does as he begins chapter 3, just a bit of an introduction to where we are now, is he reminds us that we already are righteous in the eyes of God. And that's not through our own achievement. And Paul lists his glorious spiritual resume, which is quite impressive. And then he says, basically, it is rubbish. It is rubbish compared to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really hope that you are someone who took those words to heart, that you know for certain that you have no condemnation, no condemnation at all before God, and that you are declared righteous because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all your sin and all your shame and all your guilt, all the punishment for your sins have been dealt with, and that you are completely right with God. That was the... Amazing truth that we were reminded of in the first half of chapter 3. And you might say, Yes, John, I get all that, but there is still this question that remains in my head if I am perfect in God's eyes, if I have been declared righteous, if I've been forgiven from sin, why do I keep sinning? A- am I a sinner or a saint? Uh, The sinner as the Collingwood player, I assure you, was purely accidental. (laughs) Maybe not as accidental as I've led you to believe. So which one are we? Are we saved by grace and therefore a saint, but yet someone who still struggles and yet a sinner? And this is the kind of key issue that Paul will come to address in the second half of chapter 3. Because what the scriptures teach us is the answer is yes. Yes, you are someone who is righteous in God's eyes. And yes, you are still somebody who struggles with sin. It is both of those things together. Well, how is, how is this possible? How can we kind of get our head around this Uh, Quite a tricky understanding. And I think what we have here is what I call the Philippians 3 dynamic. The Philippians 3 dynamic. And I think Philippians 3, the second half, is actually one of the best texts we have on how we deal with sin as Christians, how we mature in our following of Jesus. And the key part of this dynamic is that Christian maturity is a direction rather than a destination. It's a direction rather than a destination. This is the Philippians 3 dynamic. Have a look at what Paul writes in verse 12. Not that I've already uh, obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, literally, or have been perfected. That's what Paul says. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. see paul says no christians are not perfect but they're not stationary i don't mean that they're not paper i mean yeah they're not that as well but they're they're not still notice his language i press on i am Christ's already says paul therefore i make it my own not not so that i can become Christ's. no but because i already am Christ's. i already belong to him And so the question is, is is that dynamic working out in your life? Do you know that Christ Jesus has made you his own? He has taken hold of you. You are 100% righteous because of what he has done. And because of that, you can stand with confidence, complete confidence, before the throne of God. There is no sin in your life that Christ has not completely dealt with. Yes, you might be someone who sins, but in the eyes of God, the picture there is that you are cradled in Christ's hands. It's a wonderful and beautiful and very intimate picture of a loving parent with a precious baby. Friends, we are already united with Christ without condemnation. And then Paul goes on in verse 15 to say, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And what Paul is doing here is actually having a bit of a language joke, a bit of a pun with the Philippian church, which we kind of miss because it's in a different language. Uh, That word mature is the same word for perfect or or complete. And back in, in verse 12, Paul said, I've not obtained perfection completeness, but I press on. In other words, Paul is saying in verse 12, I'm yet to get there. I'm yet to find perfection. I'm yet to find maturity. Yet in 15, he says, actually, I am mature, and those who are, I am perfect, I have arrived, and those who are like me should think the same way. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that a mature Christian is one who realises that they're not mature. The perfect Christian is one who realises they've yet to reach perfection. In other words, they realise it is a destination, uh, sorry, a direction rather than a destination. Uh, John Newton, the the famous hymn writer uh, who wrote Amazing Grace, arguably the most famous hymn, He said, when I was young, I was sure of many things. Now there are only two things of which I'm sure. One is that I'm a miserable sinner. And the other, that Christ is an all-sufficient saviour. He is well taught who learns these two lessons. That's the Philippians 3 dynamic at work. And I've got an image for you, for you visual learners, and for those of you who who worked in the 90s, you'll appreciate my 90s clip art. This is a bit of retro clip art. Young people won't know what this is, it was called clip art. Uh, My excellent artistic skills are on display. Can you see the difference between the two? The one on the left says, I'm mature, I have arrived as a Christian, I've made it. The one on the right says, I am pressing on towards the goal because Christ has already made me his. Christians often refer to this as the process of sanctification. That's the fancy Christian word, sanctification. It's echoed in verse 16 where Paul says, let us live up to what we've already attained. See the dynamic? Let us live up, let us live out. What we already have got. Being justified, let us be sanctified. And friends, this means that in a real sense, the Christian life is an ongoing process, a journey in which, which we reflect on our sinfulness and grow towards what it means to be perfect. And as you move towards that target, As you mature in Christ, what happens is you realise just how much further that target is away. Just how ingrained many of those old ways are. I remember speaking to an archbishop and saying, as a young curate, what what should I learn? He says, oh, John, when I was young, echoing uh, Mr. Newton, I realised I'm far more sinful now than I ever thought. which was hardly encouraging for a young curate. But it was true that's the process of christian maturity and i think as you go through life you uncover new parts of yourself new challenges when you're when you're leaving home for the first time and 20 the world is your oyster and it's exciting and then 30s and 40s the the kind of struggle of just getting through life the things that were a punishment as a child you now see as a reward not going out staying home going to bed early right and as you head into your 50s and 60s, questions of legacy and perhaps grandchildren, realisation that our bodies aren't as strong as we, as we thought, there are new ways to become mature. There are new challenges. And just when we think we've got it sorted out, something else will come along. And for those of us who have children, I think children are a wonderful way of helping us realise our own sinfulness. I had reservoirs of selfishness that I had unyet plumbed until children came along, and revealed my heart. And I think God, in His grace, seldom shows us all of our needs at once, lest we be overwhelmed at the sight of them. And so it's that process; it's a direction and not a destination. Well secondly Paul reminds us therefore that Christian maturity the Christian life must be intentional and not just accidental. If Paul speaks of focusing on a target and making a progress towards it there has to be energy behind that. You can't just go along with the vibe. It requires active effort, determination. You need a plan. Uh, look at the urgency of Paul's language uh, in verses twelve and following. You can you can jump to the next slide, there's there's some examples of it. But I press on, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead, towards what is ahead. Verse fourteen I press on towards the goal to win the prize. Verse fifteen and sixteen. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. See how intentional Paul's language is. There is effort, there is striving. And so I think there's, there's kind of two parts to how this dynamic is lived out. Firstly, we need to identify the areas of the life that we, that we need to work on, where we need to grow spiritually, where we need to make sure we're pointing in the right direction. Is it lying? Is it worrying? Is it putting other people down? Is it... A sense of pride in yourself is it anger is it treating women badly is it a lack of contentment is it greed is it gossip it's about being honest where we are spiritually immature where where our arrow is not pointing towards christ and the tendency is of course to focus on the things we're good at and forget the bad things Yes, I'm generous with my money, but I'm not very generous with my prayer. I am slow to anger, but very quick to feel superior. There is honesty needed here. It is really good and important that we identify it, but that first step can't be the end of the process. Paul is intentional what is your plan to deal with it what are you going to do to press on to take hold of of it waiting friends is not enough to get to get more mature what happens is you'll be older but not more mature you'll be an 80 year old or a 90 year old or a 100 year old immature person there needs to be intentionality. What opportunities are you working on? What will you commit to working on this week? This week. Not, I'll, I'll put that off till later. This week. There is a sense of urgency in Paul's language here. There's intentionality, it's not accidental. Thirdly, notice how Paul reminds us that this is about teamwork and not being just individuals. There's a real corporate sense in which we do this together. There's a sense of community and how that's so important to growing in maturity in Christ. Look at verse 17. Join together, he says, in following my example, brothers and sisters, And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. See, a really crucial way to grow and mature as a Christian is to do it in community. It's very hard, actually, to do it by yourself. I've said it before that Christianity is a team sport. It's a team sport. And what Paul is doing here is reminding us that Christian maturity is caught as well as taught. We need to see it in action to help us grow in, ah, that's what it looks like. See, how does a young woman who's just been promoted to a management position for the first time work out what it means to follow Jesus in that context, to lead with integrity and to care for those under her authority? How does she grow in that maturity? Well, she looks at the example of another woman in church who's done that beforehand. And she speaks with her. And they have a coffee and talk about it. What does it mean for a young husband to work out what it means to to live and love his wife who has chronic fatigue? It means looking at an example of a man who's loved his wife for many years through illness. What does it mean for a student who's struggling with uni and perhaps their parents' high expectations? How helpful would it be for them to speak to someone who's been there before and helping them grow in in their wisdom and knowledge of Jesus? And I think this is where multi-generational church is so, so important. Younger Christians, I think, are often full of spiritual vitality. They have energy and passion. And at the same time require years to temper and produce maturity and stability and wisdom. So if you are a younger Christian, friends, you have a big responsibility. You need to keep encouraging others. Bring that vitality and spirit and enthusiasm to church and let it become infectious. Us old, boring people need a kick up the backside every now and again. And that's your job. In grace as a model because us older Christians are also full often of wisdom we have been there and we have done that and sometimes do lack that energy and so what's the responsibility of mature Christians is friends realize that you are a role model the other people whether you like it or not will be looking to you to see what it means to live out a Christian life And are you looking out for them to say, look, we should catch up and have a coffee. Tell me how your work's going. Tell me how your marriage is going. It's a great responsibility. And of course, this only happens if we meet together. I know COVID makes this challenging. But once again, it's an ongoing process. Who can you meet and be that figure for at church? Because it's teamwork, not individualism. Which means everybody has a part to play for somebody else. Not just ourselves. Uh, Fourthly, in chapter 3 of Philippians, what we see is Christian maturity, that dynamic we've looked at, is something that we do for ourselves and not by ourselves. And what I mean by that is... Uh, our growing in in our love and knowledge of christ always involves the work of jesus in our life by his spirit in verses 18 and 19 paul speaks of those who have their mindset on earthly things and then he contrasts that in verse 20 where he says but our citizenship is in heaven And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we go right back to the beginning of our series, you might remember that Philippi was a city that was very proudly Roman. They kind of, in fact, modelled the whole city on Rome. They were proud citizens of Rome. They thought Philippi was basically a little Rome. And Paul is saying here, It's not about Rome, it's actually about something far bigger. Because citizenship is not just about where you belong, it's actually about who you represent. And that's why I think Ash is such a wonderful citizen of Australia. Not that she just um, belongs to Australia, but when she represents us on court, we, we think of her extraordinary, gracious character, not just her amazing skill. And if our citizenship is heaven, it means we don't just belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we also represent him here and now. Now, one of the great things I like about living in uh, in the inner inner north and working particularly in Carlton is the prevalence of gelato shops. Uh, One of the reasons we managed to convince our kids to move with us to Melbourne was taking them to Brunetti's and basically saying, every day will be like this, right? That's... You know, you're pitching the sale at that point. And one of the things they used to do before COVID was, they lo- used to give you some of those little coloured spoons. And you would say, maybe I want Rocky Road, or maybe I want Chumbi Wumbi, or maybe I want, you know, vanilla, whatever it is. And they'd let you taste it. And my son quickly cottoned on that. He, could, he wanted to see how many he could taste. I want to taste all of them. Uh, you know, you can get a fair way before they realise that you're trying to scam them. But the idea is, the idea behind that is... It gives you a little taste of what's to come. How good's the rocky road? Oh, this is this is great. I'm looking forward to the triple scoop on my cone that's arriving. In other words, the taste of gelato is a foretaste of something bigger and grander. It's almost bringing the future into the past, uh, into the present. Sorry, bringing the future into the present. And what Paul is teaching us here is our behaviour as Christians, our maturity, is actually meant to give a foretaste of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. It's the future reaching back into the present to say, this is what it looks like. Isn't it amazing? And notice what Paul says in verse 21. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control... He will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. See, Jesus transforming work uh, in in making us more like him so that we reach such a maturity. Uh, It's not just that there will be no sin in our lives, which is amazing. It's that our bodies, which, which bear the cost of sin with disease and age and ultimately death, even they will be transformed like his glorious resurrected body. That's how maturity works. It's a full body experience. Those of us who wear glasses, guess what? We we won't have to anymore. I was chatting with uh, one of our congregation members. Those of us who love singing but feel like we can't sing very well, we'll all sing beautifully. There'll be no tryouts for the choir in heaven. Everybody straight in. We'll all be able to play the organ like Peter, Adam. It'll all be perfect in every way. Not just our behavior, but our bodies as well. In other words, our maturity, yes, it is for ourselves, but it is never by ourselves. It is always God working through his spirit in our lives. Anthony Hokima, a Dutch theologian, summarizes it beautifully when he says... Christian maturity or sanctification is that gracious operation of the Holy Spirit involving our responsible participation by which he delivers us justified sinners from the pollution of sin, renews our entire nature according to the image of God and enables us to live lives which are pleasing to him because friends that is the reality you can live a life pleasing to god that's the wonderful truth of philippians 3 that's the philippians 3 dynamic that we have been justified made righteous the penalty for sin paid for that is christ's work for you and we are being sanctified mature deliver from the power and pollution of Christ. Ah, uh, sorry, of sin. That is Christ's work in you. And the great promise here is that we will be glorified, raised from the dead, entirely removed from the presence of sin. A perfect people. That is Christ's promise for you. So my prayer is that as a church, together we will press on towards that God. to win that prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. In a moment, we're going to sing a song which points to that day to which we belong, that day we are giving a foretaste of. But before we do, let me pray that we will be a church that presses on and takes hold of that for which Christ has already taken hold of us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you hold us secure in your love and in your grace and in your mercy. That there is no sin which we have done, will do or indeed are doing now that Christ has not died for. May we know for certain that we we stand before you righteous, not because of our work but because of Christ's. And Father, by your spirit, help us to live that out. To have a maturity as we work with your spirit in becoming like Christ. Help us to put to death those sins which we keep toying with. Help us to be intentional. Help us to encourage each other. And help us look to that day where we will be raised from the dead and perfect in every way, singing your praises. Amen.